kids need to be deeply connected to us and feel that safety in order to thrive. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 221. Today, we're talking about consciously parenting preteen girls with Syl Reynolds. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields, Mindful Mama Mentor. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting Membership, opening soon. And I'm the author of Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Welcome back. Welcome to the podcast. If you're new, welcome, welcome, welcome. So good to connect with you. This is a very... Uh, very cool episode uh, because in just a moment, I'm going to be sitting down with Syl Reynolds and talking about adolescence. And if you have a boy, don't worry. This is applies to you. It really is talking about relationships in general. And um, I'm talking to Syl and Syl is the uh, co-author with her daughter, Eliza, of Mothering and Daughtering, Keeping Your Bond Strong Through the Teen Years. And the host of We Thrive TV, a monthly vlog. And they have the mother-daughter duo. They have taught sold-out workshops nationwide for thousands of mothers and their preteen and teen daughters for the past 15 years. And they are and and they are incredible experts in this area and in and, and spirit guides, I believe. Um, so if you are the parent of a daughter, you know, you like me, I have two daughters. You're, you've probably been subjected to lines like, oh, just wait until she's a teenager, right? And so we talk about, we push back really against this outdated way of thinking. And, you know, we, you can think of her as this, this daughter whisperer. She teaches us these mindful ways of connecting with our tweens and teens authentically. So I want you to listen for a few key takeaways we're going to talk about what behavior issues in toddlers and in teens really mean. We're going to talk about how preteens and adolescents need us just as much or more than ever, and how our cultural narrative about teen girls is untrue and actually often dangerous. So it's going to be an awesome episode. And uh, before we dive in, I just want to give a quick word. I've been so happy to have the sponsors coming onto the podcast, and I want to tell you something about them because I am so selective about these sponsors. It's a little ridiculous. I feel like I reject 50% of the sponsors that are offered to me. There are so many that I say no to because I am so selective about it being authentic to who, what this podcast is and what we stand for. And I really believe wholeheartedly in every sponsor. So I'm just want to let you know that. And I hope you'll listen to the sponsor messages and you'll use the promo codes um, because that's how the sponsors know that this is a great place to, to share their message. So just wanted to share that. And I'd also want to let you know, of course, that the mindful parenting free training, if you're listening, like the moment this is released is happening this week, but mindful parenting is, is 
opening up briefly. It only has four days where you are ready to, you know, where you are able to enter the membership. And this is all the whole membership. It, it includes the eight module mindful parenting course, and it includes a lot more, but it really is all the tools you need to get your kids to listen to, to dissolve anxiety, stress, and worry, to disarm your triggers, to kind of really understand what they are and just disarm them so that you can stay calm and to help your kids solve their own problems and to cultivate that willing cooperation. It's really about inside out. And we work on communication skills, loving and effective speech um, so that you can really create strong, connected relationships where you don't have to use uh, punishment and and power. And it's really, really exciting. But it's it's a membership because it's it's these are not quick tips, right? These are tried and true skills that, you know, can be simple to learn, but a lifetime to master. And, you know, just like these learning these new habits and ways is like learning a new language <laughs> and you're not going to master like Swahili in 12 weeks. So that's why it's a membership. I really want to give my students the support they need <clears throat> with continuous learning, right? No matter what age or stage your child is in. So anyway, that is all happening right very soon. And you can join at mindfulparentingcourse.com. That's at mindfulparentingcourse.com. I hope you'll join me. It's kind of like the way, and you also get like all these live coaching calls. So it's like a live podcast with me a couple of times a month. So that might be fun, right? And you can listen in or you can join in. So I hope you'll join me. It's kind of like Mindful Mama podcast up level. <laughs> so yeah, that's at mindfulparentingcourse.com. And I think that's all I have to tell you before we dive into this conversation. Join me at the table as I talk to Syl Reynolds. Syl, thanks so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Oh, it is so my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And I really appreciate it. We've already established that you're in my favorite state from my home state of Rhode Island, which is so uh -huh. exciting, uh -huh. <laughs> living not far away from my beloved high school job. Oh, but I love, the, <laughs> love Rhode Island, the ocean state. The ocean state. It's it's funky little place. and uh, But that's not what we're here to talk about. Uh, the reader, will, the, the listener, you'll probably be happy to hear that since you, <laughs> you, don't, you may not, uh, may not enjoy my waxing romantic about Rhode Island, but you, um, you're, you have been doing the work with your daughter for many years of mothering and daughtering. And it started with a book or maybe it, 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 in the middle, there was a book, but it's for me, it, you're, it, it started with a book, mothering and daughtering. And you work with preteens and, and mothers and, and daughters and the whole change of going into preteens, which is for me, very, personally apropos right now because I have one daughter who's 13 and one daughter's 10. So we are in some years. Uh, so I'm just wondering for you, how did this work? How did this work start? Such a good question because it started with me. You know, it started with uh, having a daughter 29 years ago and <laughs> my first child and my, my only child and going, oh shit. <laughs> um, because I mean, I, I laugh and I smile, but it was painful to, to recognize that I was, 
I was scared I wouldn't know how to raise a girl. Mm. Um, I had three brothers and um, my relationship with my mother was never close. And well, maybe it was, a it, no, it was never close. And it got a lot worse during the teen years. Mm-hmm. And I felt as though I needed to figure it out. Um, I needed to address the fear and the intergenerational stuff mm-hmm. that um, hadn't been um, really, really um, healed. And so uh, I really got into it by way of my own family's wounding or my own family, my relationship with my mother that wasn't, um, that was painful, continued to be painful, had never healed. And um, yeah, so that's how I got into it so that I could know better um, how to move forward with a daughter. That's wonderful. I mean, and I can relate so much because a lot of the work that I do teaching mindful parenting has to do with stuff that came up for me in my relationship with my father and his anger coming out and um and not wanting to pass on these generational patterns and 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 do do better but but how so so that's wonderful and so was it was it rocky I mean, well first let me ask and your um for your own upbringing what kind of upbringing did you have would you say your your parents or your mom was particularly authoritarian Good question. I would say actually that my mother, my, my parents were not authoritarian. They were actually not reactive. I, I, I'm really appreciative, appreciative of that. Um, they were um, kind of withdrawn emotionally. And mm-hmm. I, I, I certainly f- I knew that, I knew fundamentally that I was loved. I had um, basic safety and food and lodging. And um, I felt pretty isolated and lonely in my family. And um, that, and I craved um, closeness with my mother who wasn't able to give it to me either emotionally or physically, like was very, very um, Mm. uncomfortable expressing herself in that way. Hmm. I can imagine. Yeah. You wanted that, you wanted that thing that you didn't have. And it sounds like, you know, it was even into adulthood, it was something that was uh, a, not a warm and, and, and comfortable relationship for you. Not at all. And, and, and it, things really, um, got very hard during the adolescent years because I was, um, as many adolescents are, struggling with um, my feelings, my, my identity, my sense of self. Uh, I was figuring out, you know, really the, um, the task of adolescence is, is to uh, figure out who you are in relationship to your parents or the adults that you're close to in your life. Um, who am I? Who, how am I like them? How am I not like them? Mm. And um, when adolescents are 
resisting, I call it resisting um, their parents and figuring out their own identity, their own interests, um, it becomes a tricky time if that parent is insecure about their sense of self that the parent might experience that as rejection instead of resistance. They wouldn't know how to hold an adolescent's ups and downs uh, as that well because they're not able to hold their own um, emotional ups and downs. They might not have finished certain developmental pieces in themselves. And so I felt more and more um, depressed and anxious and isolated as a teenager um, because I didn't have, um, especially a mother to go talk to about growing up female. Oh, wow. So you were basically remothering yourself as you started to go onto this healing work for yourself. You were kind of like m- m- doing that mothering work for yourself. Definitely. Definitely. And, um, a big part of that Hunter came from my work with my teacher, uh, Marion Woodman, she's a Jungian analyst and author. And uh, so much what her work is about is this kind of psychological, spiritual piece of remothering. And at the, so, at the, so in my searching for ways to heal those places in me so that I could be more available for my daughter, Eliza, as she was growing up, Marion Woodman's work became very important to me. Uh, as I, yeah, as I healed and remothered, that's exactly the way I would put it. Now, this is so interesting because you're speaking in these uh, wonderful ways of, of depth and, and our healing and our our psychology. But for many parents, we go into parenthood and we are faced with the the difficulties of early childhood and and those early years and we just want to say help me fix this difficulty this problem out outside of myself right which is my child <laughs> let me make them make their behavior better and then i will feel better and what you're pointing to is a, a deeper look at parenting which is these behaviors that my child is exhibiting is are bringing up things for me that I need to heal, right? That takes us uh, extraordinary level of self-awareness and self-understanding. And I'm wondering if you went through a phase, kind of like that first phase of like, let me just, when maybe when your daughter was younger, I know you work a lot with preteens, but what, when your daughter was younger if, if, of, let me just fix this behavior and and make this child be more orderly or whatever, and then I will feel better. Did you go through something like that? Um, Well, I'm thinking. uh, Eliza was was fairly, um, I'm going to say, easy in those Mm -hmm. years. Uh, I, you know, I broadly teach attachment parenting uh, you know, it's often um, discussed uh, more t- in the early years. Mm-hmm. And when I say attachment parenting, I mean really relational, um, taking the relational approach and, and understanding the science of attachment that we're, we're creatures of, of attachment, we're mammals. And, uh, and so I, I'm often referring back and forth with mothers 
of the er, with the early years, especially the toddler years, because there is this resistance going on uh, that's quite similar to the to the teen years. Yeah. So it's interesting that there's behavioral issues um, in both years that are really interesting. It's a it's a stepping out into um, self um, independence, resisting the parents. Um, you know, the, the parents' um, uh, limits or, um, or, the, or the parenting. Uh, what I would say I experienced in the early years was lack of sleep. Um, <laughs> and um, it was really, yeah. really, really hard. So it was less behaviors and more just literally getting through the day. Um, and um, and my exhaustion levels and my lack of support um, that I was struggling with. So I would say, Hunter, that those early years um, are very, very, I, I can conjure them easily. Um, and that, that struggle that I had then, um, even though my daughter's behaviors were relatively unchallenging. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, as, as you know, being, being a mom, when your child is a certain age, you're likely to encounter parts of yourself that may have not be tended to. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. already when she was even one or two or three, and I was learning, you know, I was following my instincts, um, cuddling, uh, breastfeeding. Um, not that that's the only way to do it. I'm just saying that that's the way I was doing it. it was so different from the way my mother had done it. And I encountered um, parts of myself that felt uh, sad about um, what I hadn't gotten even in those early years. And I would watch my mother with my daughter and she was so uncomfortable holding her mm-hmm. and, um, you know, being with a baby. And so it was, it was intense to encounter those limitations in my mother line when my daughter was very young. Stay tuned for more Mindful Mama podcasts right after this break. We are supported by the Grassroots Farmers Cooperative. We're all doing our best to slow down, reconnect with ourselves, our communities, and the planet. And this is an opportunity to be intentional with what we feed our bodies, which is why I source my meat from the Grassroots Farmers Cooperative. Grassroots Farmers Cooperative's commitment to nutritious meat starts with their practice of regenerative agriculture, which means more nutrients in the plants eaten by the animals. And their animals are 100% pasture-raised, roaming-free on small-scale family farms. The end result is tastier meat with higher levels of omegas, vitamins, and minerals. I had the grassroots chicken and I am used to high quality chicken and this was some of the highest quality I've ever had. They even have a QR code that lets me trace the meat right back to its original farm for total and complete transparency. 
It was delivered straight to my door with no trip to the store, of course, which is so challenging at this point, and with all great packaging. I sometimes have issues with packaging, and theirs was really conscious. Grassroots Farmers Cooperative is also committed to paying their workers a livable wage so they can focus on maintaining the highest standards from pasture to plate. So for Mindful Mama podcast listeners, you can order Grassroots Co-op today to get high quality nutrient-rich meat delivered straight to your door, no subscription required. So right now they're gonna give Mindful Mama listeners a special limited time offer. You get $40 off plus free shipping. So to get that, you have to go to grassrootscoop.com slash hunter to get the full details in order today. Go now. That's grassrootscoop.com slash H-U-N-T-E-R. I bet. I mean, I can imagine that if you watch that discomfort in your mother, you could only help but feel such intense compassion for baby you, right? Like wanting that, needing that. Yeah. You got it. You got it. That, so that's where it, it got me in those early years, where, where it showed me the parts of myself um, that, um, yeah, needed to be mothered. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? When we see there's the, the suffering that just gets passed on down the line. And then when we you know, we imagine your mother and maybe what her childhood was like and, and yep. down the line, there's no, you know, we live in a culture that's so ready to place blame and judgment, but it's really, it, it's such a, just really a deep understanding of there's so much suffering and we can do this work of healing. It's not easy, but, but just recognizing the suffering that that's there is, is powerful. Yeah, it prompted me to, uh, to, to investigate further um, why my mother um, was the way she was. And it's the second chapter of my book um, mm-hmm. where I, I actually um, do some research about my mother and grandmother and, and, and found out a lot of information about why she, you know, where, where this all began. Um, going back many generations, actually. And so that really helped me to, to have more compassion, to understand, um, and to heal um, my heart. Mm. Mm. Yeah, they say, there's, there's a, don't they say in Alcoholics Anonymous, like have, ha, holding resentment is like, you know, drinking poison, right? And hoping the other person will, will hurt, um, or maybe it comes from somewhere else, but. No, okay. no, you're right. It's, it's a bitter... <laughs> bitter pill to swallow to not get past this. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that healing is really for ourselves. So, so you, I mean, really this deep work that you take in, in preteens, I, for me, I see it. Yeah. Just very much paralleled in the, in the younger years too. But talking about preteens, you say that in that this time of uh, that it's kind of like a, a hidden test <laughs> that some of the behavior is like a or the resistance is like this hidden test like be there for me any, anyway no matter how much I tell you to go away 
Can you tell me a little bit more about that for the listener who is either going through this with me or who is looking forward to this uh, perhaps in the, in the future? Oh, yeah, you bet. I'd love to. It's my passion. Um, my passion is to tell mothers and fathers, but I work um, with mothers mostly, uh, that uh, don't believe your child for a minute. <laughs> and I'm, when I say child, I'm speaking about you know, adolescents. They are children. Um, they're older than um, you know, the, that first stage that we were talking about. But uh, a lot of times in my coaching and my teaching, I'm reminding mothers uh, it's a little trickier because our, ki- you know, our, uh, in our case, our girls, you have two girls, are... Uh, mm-hmm. uh, our adolescent kids are have more words at their disposal. They're 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 growing up in a lot of ways. They're more sophisticated than they you know. And so sometimes we can get tricked into forgetting um, that they need us uh, just as much as ever. Sometimes more than ever mm-hmm. um, during the preteen and teen years. And the the, the cultural narrative is what I. Um, really want to bring um, our listeners' attention to, which is you've probably heard, um, especially if you have daughters, uh, um, you know, there they are, a toddler, maybe um, having a little bit of a fit, and uh, someone says, oh, you think it's hard now? Wait until she's a teenager. Mm -hmm. And um, Eliza, my daughter and I, who wrote Mothering and Daughtering Together, um, when she was a teenager, actually, and um, we taught workshops for 15 years for preteen, for mothers and their preteen and teen daughters, um, we're so done with that narrative. Uh, it's, so, it's so it's so insulting to teenagers, and in this case, teenage girls. Um, and it's it's really. Um, <laughs> And then it goes further to say the narrative. Um, they're impossible. Um, just let them go. They're supposed to be hanging out with their friends. You'll get through it. Um, just survive. And on the other end of it, you'll be friends again. And in Mothering and Daughtering, um, which we, our tagline is actually thriving, not just surviving, uh, we feel very strongly that not only is this not true, um, but it's 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 can be dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a phenomenon in our culture now um, called peer culture, uh, which has been growing in influence since mostly since after World War II. But with each decade, it's more and more of a problem. Where our kids, our adolescent kids, are taking their cues more and more from their peers. And with social media and growing up in a digital age now and our uh, teen, teens being connected to phones and online a lot, um, this is becoming, unfortunately, a 24-7 kind of um, danger. And, and I say danger literally because the stats show that the more kids... Um, move their attachment instincts onto their peers, um, 
the tougher it is for them. Um, teen suicides are up. Um, Self-destructive behavior is up. Um, um, bullying is up online and elsewhere. And so um, a big part of what we teach in, in mothering and daughtering is that um, the reason why we're talking about attachment parenting during adolescence is because more than ever, um, we need to understand the attachment science that actually um, it's not normal for adolescents to be more connected to their friends, to have great friends, to hang out with their friends, totally. But um, we're hardwired as children and during adolescence to have a primary attachment um, to our parents or to the adults in our lives who are, we are closest to. Um, and um, we need it developmentally for them to protect our hearts, for them to protect our vulnerability um, so that the vulnerability can stay, we can stay vulnerable and soft and open because the adults in our lives have our back. It's incredibly anxiety producing for preteens and teens to uh, resort to getting their emotional support predominantly from their peers because it's like the blind leading the blind. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a very, um, you know, I'm certain that it's, a, it's really the primary issue is, not, um, is to not use a behavioral approach to parenting. I don't think it ever, but um, it's- And it's what do you mean by a behavioral approach? So we can define it for the listeners. Sure, sure. I mean um, that we are um, doing timeouts, discipline, mm -hmm. um, consequences, instead of relying on um, the relationship. So in other words, mm -hmm. I'm not saying that we 100% don't use those things. Every parent has to find their own way. What I am saying is that if there's a behavioral problem, in, in my work I find, I mean, I found personally as a parent and in the coaching and teaching I do, that um, it's a relational issue that needs to be addressed. And um, when I'm working with parents who are struggling with their adolescent kids' behavior, I'm interested um, in figuring out how to strengthen that bond, that relationship with that kid. Um, grounding is um, an example um, of discipline or consequences after um, an adolescent kid has broken a rule or hurts themselves or another or not been responsible in some way. And, you know, I'm okay with grounding if it's really about grounding, like grounding the relationship, the heart, the nervous system, um, getting close again, talking about what happened and, and finding, um, you know, the heart of the matter. Um, finding more connection if the kid's going to be home for a week or two, not isolating them in their room and punishing them because that's not going to create um, true remorse, empathy, feelings, um, and grow the relationship between the parent and child um, closer. Does that make sense? Yes. I mean, everything you're saying is like, 
um, you know, saying ding, 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 right, you know, in my head right here, because this is what I teach in, in mindful parenting and, and raising good humans is like knowing that the aimed primarily to parents of younger children, but saying that the, the, the ways that we parent now make a big difference. And we, when we can parent through more skillfully through connection, not through punishment, then one of the big reasons why this matters so, so much in the early years is that we parent more skillfully. And, and so our kids don't grow to just resent us over the years is that adolescence, this idea that an adolescent is just supposed to hate you is, is a myth, but, but parent, but adolescents are, they're not rebelling against the parent themselves, but these sort of like destructive methods and this, this just resentment that builds up over time. And when you get to adolescence, that's when you don't have as much power, you know, of reward and consequence, et cetera, over this in more independent person. And if you've, all you've used is power, you have no influence, right? Exactly. And, and you're, you're talking about like, let's look at the relationship. How can we parent in such a way so that we're building a closer relationship so we have influence and so that our kids can have the extraordinary benefit of our grounding influence through a very tough and challenging time. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm right there with you and I love your work um, because it, it so resonates uh, um, with this idea that if, and this is Gordon Neufeld's quote, if you have your child's heart, no discipline is necessary. Mm. And discipline by, you know, in terms of, I mean, really uh, in, in the sense of punishment or, or consequential stuff, because kids um, need um, to be um, connect, deeply connected to us and feel that safety um, in order to thrive. And um, what I notice in helping parents is that when I can help them retrieve I, there's actually a term for it, retrieve their teenager. Mm. There's actually a practice um, of, 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 of retrieving that heart, finding um, connection again, um, all, 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 often best done um, away from, for a weekend. Or we've always found that our workshop weekends are great retrieval opportunities. Um, where um, mother and daughter reconnect in ways they haven't for a long time because they're away from phones um, and they're taking a break and they're coming and staying at a place together and they're part of a community that's really about um, that it's socially acceptable and cool actually to be close with your mom um, during the teen years. And I just think it's really sad, you know, um, to watch. And, and it makes me happy too. When I watch these girls literally climb back into their mother's laps mm. and, um, you know, because we are creatures of attachment and when, um, the conditions are right, that's what our children do. And we need to make the conditions right and understand that they need us. Um, uh, very, very much to um, be the safe harbor. True mm -hmm. dependence creates true independence 
in children. And that's the same with adolescents. And I find that this approach, um, this relational approach is very effective. I can relate to all of what you're saying because I remember at some times that idea of true dependence creates true independence. I remember thinking as I grew into my 20s and looked back at my own childhood thinking there was too much, too much push for independence. Like I wanted to have some more, I think, in my own family. But I was thinking about what you said also about your workshop weekends, which I have read about in the Kripalu catalog and wanted to go to with my child. And she says no way, Jose, will she go to anything like that with me, but she will go on a backpacking weekend with me. So Mm -hmm. we have done that too. And she does come and sit close and just physically like throw herself into me. And I love that. And I, I can sense exactly what you're talking about. This like physical connection is just so, so important. And, and that, also circles us back a little bit that circles us back to attachment parenting which we didn't define and i would love for you to just talk a little bit about you know what it is and 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 you've talked about it a little bit as far as like we need an attachment this primary attachment figure but could could you just clarify a little bit about that say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I have this. You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it, who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You'll be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist, so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. mindfulparentingcourse.com
Sure, sure. Because, um, and I think also for your um, listeners, uh, the attachment parenting that they're more used to hearing about is, you know, discussions about family bed and how long do you nurse for and, and why those are really important questions and each family figures that out. Um, behind those, those questions and discussions is um, the latest, I think, parenting um, research over the last few decades, besides, besides neurophysiology, but they overlap, um, is this notion that uh, we have these relational brains. Okay, so we have three brains, we humans. We have the frontal lobe, uh, the neocortex, which some call the executive function, and that grows to its full fruition by about age 25, which is, and that's found only in humans, which is sometimes what I say to people is your kid, your adolescent, or even, you know, your college-age kid, just remember they need you to sometimes step in as the executive because their executive function isn't fully grown. Mm-hmm. Um, but I digress because the, the attachment brain is the relational brain or called the limbic brain. Mm. And um, a lot of times in mothering and daughtering, in fact, I wrote two chapters on it. Um, I talk about mirroring and containing. And mirroring neurons were first named in the 90s. Um, and of course, we have intuitively always sensed this. Our babies search for our eyes. Um, that eye contact feels so crucial, doesn't it, for landing with our kids mm-hmm. and our, our loved ones. And literally, there are, um, we're hardwired um, to be seen literally and deeply emotionally um, for who we are. Um, like It's like seeing into the soul of our child. Uh, and so... Um, the relational brain and the science behind this is showing us that, yes, um, children, and that's what, and again, in the early years when we have um, stranger anxiety, uh, we, we learn, oh, stranger anxiety is not a bad thing. It's showing us that our child is becoming attached, primarily attached to us, and they know the difference between who they know well and who they don't know well. Well, it's the same um, into adolescence, not um, you know um, where we're carrying our kids around, but we their attachment to us is just as strong and just as important, but not as but 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 the attachment is more at a distance. You so when they're home from school, they they might like you said your daughter climbing into your lap, or she might be in the next room and just my daughter used to love during the teen years um, being in the room next door to the kitchen with the door open. I could just hear her humming and loving um, the connection to me, her primary attachment, but from a little bit from a distance. But that same primary attachment that exists in those early years needs to be maintained through adolescence. And that's Um, what I'm talking about is that we are relational brains. That limbic system needs that level of connection. And if we're not there consistently for our kids, if we don't understand this science, 
they will find it elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And that's where peer culture can be very seductive and where we need to reinforce as where I need to reinforce as a parenting uh, teacher and coach that um, parents need to trust their instincts. Um, when they're being told that they're being a helicopter mom because they are sensing they need to be more involved, not less involved in their teenager's life, um, I tell them, you go girl. Um, you know, helicopters moms are rare. Helicopter dads are rare. Yes, they're pathological. They're too involved in their kids' lives. But in all my experience as a parenting coach, I found helicopter parenting as extremely rare and that I encourage parents to trust their instincts, to stay involved, um, to make sure that, um, to be bold. Um, and there's a whole movement happening of attachment parenting in the teen years. Um, where we're all like talking about the ways in which, you know, kids don't get to come in the back door, um, you know, and just go hang out in the basement altogether. Um, they come in the front door <laughs> and you, you say hello to them and you realize, and you look in their eyes. You can tell a kid who is peer oriented right away. They, they, they struggle to even look into an adult's eyes. And um, there's a lot of work I do with coaching parents and educators to know how to retrieve these kids who um, are hurting and feel very um, vulnerable um, to um, the kind of bullying culture of peer culture. It's like kind of um, Lord of the Flies on steroids. Mm. Yeah, I can I can imagine that. But if there's there's, it depends on sort of the relationship with the parent all along. And, and you talked about this idea that, and, and I'd love to talk about this idea that like your adolescent is rejecting, isn't rejecting you. She's, re, they're rejecting an outmoded way of exactly. relating to you. So exactly. So, Yay. <laughs> yeah. So like what, how what should we be relating to our kids if we want to keep them, you know, keep that influence and, and keep that, but we don't want to, we, yeah. we don't want to smother them and we don't want them yeah. to hate us. It's frustrating, you know? Well, knowledge is powerful. And I'm sure there's listeners that hear you say that, Hunter, and go, yeah, right on. Mm -hmm. um, it's like if we know the science, if we understand um, that it's, it's part of our kids' job in adolescence to try on different, you know, identities, including... I'm, I, you know, like being embarrassed by your behavior because they're in the process of figuring out who they are and they're, they're so connected with you, mama, that your, your daughter or son, might, you might see the eye rolling and the resistance, but if you're not taking it personally and you understand, there can be a part of you that kind of is fascinated mm -hmm. and goes, oh my God, she's, she's figuring it out. And I'm not saying it doesn't hurt on one level, especially if our own adolescence is unresolved because our, our mother or father took our behavior personally, mm -hmm. our resistance or quote unquote rejection personally. But if we have the confidence um, 
as adults, as fully different, you know, differentiated adults, um, we can be fascinated by our kids, um, you know, resistance and by not taking it personally, imagine the, how reassured they feel that we're not, it would be like the same as us taking our, our, our toddler's tantrum personally. Mm-hmm. It's not any different. Like imagine how devastating that would be for a toddler if we took their tantrum personally as an affront to us. You know, obviously a teenager has more words at their disposal and they can say, I hate you, mom, or I hate it when you dance like that, or, oh, mom, stop it. You're, you're embarrassing me. Um, however, that's their version of tantrum and resistance. And if we can hold steady through the storm, um, we are maintaining the same thing, object constancy. We are, um, you know, an adult who is not being swayed um, by a teen tantrum. I'm not saying it's all the time, but if fundamentally we understand that, it makes parenting during the teen years so much more interesting, fun, and effective. I I love this. And I think this is the intention that we absolutely need, you know, to hold steady through the storm, to not take it personally. I will be practicing. So for sure. Um, But tell me a little bit more about mirroring and containing what you mentioned those, what are they and how do they help? Oh, I love talking about mirroring and containing. I, I first, um, heard those, those, those words used in the context of um, relationship um, through again my teacher Marion Woodman. Uh, I would take um, courses from her, and she would the women she was working with. I being one of them, um, and I'm a, also a psychotherapist, so I, I was really learning a lot about her method. And she was talking um, to us um, in this notion of remothering that that we could contain and mirror self if that hadn't been done to the extent we needed it as a child. And so mirroring is quite like what I was saying before. Um, It is literally um, the mirror neurons in the relational brain um, reflecting back um, to that child. I see you. Um, I delight in you. Um, It's sort of agendaless presence. Mm. It's, it's being there for your child. Um, my definition of mothering in the mothering and daughtering world is raising your daughter, obviously, or your child, uh, to become themselves. Mm. And so it's this notion of who are you? Who are you becoming? It's not that, of course, we want certain things for our children, and we can never not have some agendas. We're human. But it's that practice, that mindful practice, as Mm -hmm. you say, Hunter, in parenting of getting out of the way, who is this child becoming? And how can I reflect back to her or him? How do I mirror to her um, who her soul, her very being, and delight in it so that she grows into the best version of herself? Containing... um, Um, is a word that I use for the holding um, that we do as mothers. So it certainly starts 
with the uterus, doesn't it? Whether we mm. biologically carried our children or not, um, there's the metaphor. And then when we hold them literally as babies, that's another container. Mm. Um, and then when we create safety, um, when they're running around as toddlers and we, we um, um, safety-proof a room, that's a kind of containment. We're, we're, we're making their environment safe. Um, containment then becomes more and more psychological and emotional. Our kids might be at school, but they know um, they've been able to um, internalize that we have their back, that we're there for them. Um, they might be in the other room. They might be out and about, but they can feel our, our, our love um, sustaining them even when we're not in the same room. And so containing is also mere, um, um, about boundaries, setting limits, um, creating um, many different kinds of, of safety so that our kids are growing up, not in a bubble, but in an appropriately boundaried um, um, life um, so that they know where they begin, where they end psychologically, physically, and emotionally. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I'm thinking back to my own adolescence, actually spending lots of time with a bad crowd in the town that you now live in. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh my God. Spent a lot of time at that Burrs Hill playground. Um, but, but I could have used some boundaries. I could yes. have, but then my my own father was unskillful of these boundaries. Like it was, it was, you know, a lot of, a lot of, you know, harsh yelling kind of stuff. And and I was like, well, I'd been raised to be independent all the way along. See you later. I'm just going anyway. You know, and it was there was a lot of conflict for me personally with that. But the boundaries would make a lot of sense if I had had to do a some kind of sports team instead of spending all those afternoons in Warren, Rhode Island. Might, yeah. Things yeah. might have been a little different, but not that I regret anything at this point. I've learned a lot. <laughs> you know, I could, I could really see that. Well, you know, when we're mirroring and containing consciously, not perfectly, but consciously and um, as a mother, as a parent, um, we are... Um, kind of combining heart and mind we're, we're it's like a martial art almost and I sometimes call it loving authority instead of the authoritarian approach of maybe earlier generations um, more so and still parents some parents today um, it, it's it's tempting to say you know do it because I said so um, and um, sometimes that's appropriate um, and if the relationship is strong and there is, you know, there actually is a hierarchy here. Um, there's a social hierarchy. And I, I call it being an alpha mom, mm -hmm. you know, being in right relationship with yourself and being in right relationship with your kids so that they know actually that you are in charge and that you do call the shots, but with love and with, um, um, you know, sometimes negotiation is appropriate, but um, it's huge relief to teenagers um, for their parents to, to set limits. 
um, and um, to be involved in their their kids' lives um, in that way, you know, in a loving way, but in a firm, loving way. So I could talk to you about this probably a lot longer, <laughs> just selfishly, um, with my own daughters, who I was actually able to watch my 13-year-old in the hammock as we were, um, as we were talking. It. it was so, so lovely. Um, you, I just, I, I, I could, I could talk to you about this for a really long time, but I want to, of course, respect your time and, Aww. and um, mothering and daughtering is, is an amazing book. So I just thank want to you. thank you for the work that you've done and put out there and your insight uh, that you've offered to the world. And for so many of us, it really makes a big difference and, and it just has so many ripple effects. It's really quite profound. So I, I'm very grateful for what you've done. Thank you, Hunter. I'm really touched. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you saying that. Um, it means the world to me and I have loved um, being here um, talking with you is, you know, obviously our work is so simpatico. We're doing the same work um, with um, slightly different age groups. And it's just so heartening um, to me that we can take this discussion from the beginning through adolescence um, and keep showing up in very similar ways um, as we did in the earlier, early years um, that we can keep showing up and feel confident about trusting our instincts um, during the teen years as well. Yes, yes, absolutely. I love it. You know, em boundaries, empathetic boundaries, setting limits, yep, and, yep, yep, and, yep. and being curious, right? That's a, one of the precepts of mindfulness is curiosity. Who are you? Yeah, hey, yeah, oh, I love yeah, it. I love it. Yeah, yeah. So where can people find out um, more about you and your work? Oh, um, they can go to motheringanddaughtering.com and um, we got pretty much everything on the website, uh, including any connecting to any social media. Um, our book, you can find out more about there. And um, we, I have an online course that Eliza and I put together called the Mothering Course um, for mothers of preteen and teen girls. Um, lots of different things. Um, going on. You can, um, uh, if you opt in, there's a 45 minute video um, that Eliza and I did, especially for mamas who want to know more about um, what to do if you feel like you're losing um, your girl. Um, um, I, I would say there's lots you can do um, to feel um, just as connected or more than ever during the preteen and teen years. It's such a such a hopeful message. I love that. So, oh, yeah. Thank you so much, Sil. All right. Thank you so much, Hunter. What a cool conversation! I'm so excited to meet Sil when this crazy COVID nineteen pandemic thing is over. Over. I'm going to go and hang out with her in Rhode Island. Oh man! But I love what she had to say about you know behavior issues being relational issues and just that you know that it's about changing the way our kids relate to us and it's amazing how that is such an incredible teacher for us right to grow and change there's so much there so thank you thank you so much for listening 
Uh, if you are listening in time, you might be able to join the Mindful Parenting membership. It's opening briefly for a few days. And so that's at mindfulparentingcourse.com, mindfulparentingcourse.com. I hope you'll join me and you'll get like, get to hang out and have the live coaching calls every month. And we talk about so many things in those coaching calls, how to talk to our partners, how to deal with behavior issues, how to set boundaries lovingly and empathetically. Uh, and it's, it's very powerful. And people from all around the world, so cool. So that's at mindfulparentingcourse.com. It's the Mindful Parenting membership, but we keep the URL mindfulparentingcourse.com. And I'm wishing you a great week, my friend. If you've made it all the way to this part of the podcast, I'm just like, yay for you. That means you found that much time to yourself in a time. Um, if you're listening to this in the spring of 2020 of 24 seven family time, oy vey, I feel like I'm in like week 5,000 shelter in place. But um, I hope that you're finding those pockets of peace and you can practice to make them more and more. Um, and a special exciting announcement, and we're going to have a bonus episode this week. So keep an eye out for that. Thank you again so much for listening. I wish you peace and joy and, you know, just that perspective to be able to take this all in and hold it all with loving awareness uh, without you know, shooting any second arrows at ourselves and, um, and just that equanimity to, to hold it all. Anyway, wishing that all for you and for me. I'll be practicing too. Have a great week, my friend. Namaste.